has their hearts in their throats. And 0-2 to right field. Adam Engel is there! A no-hitter! The 19th in White Sox history! Well, that's what Lucas Giolito can possibly do for you. A no-hitter he threw in 2020 as part of that crazy COVID season. No fans in the stands, but a guy that had been one of the top pitchers for a White Sox team that we look at now is a laughingstock, right? They were brutal in 2023. In 2022, they missed the playoffs. Really one of the, the big letdowns in recent baseball history of a team that you thought would do big things and instead have fallen by the wayside, but Lucas Giolito put together some really solid seasons. He's now a Boston Red Sox after signing a two-year $38.5 million contract with the Red Sox and opt-out after the 2024 season in effect within that contract as well. So he can opt-out and then get himself back on the market for a bigger deal in what would be his then age 30 season. He will be 29 on opening day in 2024 but the Red Sox finally make a signing we've been waiting for it for so long and they end up doing something we'll see if it's a precursor to more moves but at least they have another starter in their rotation we know who exactly it'll be uh or at least we know who one more guy is in the rotation that'll be a certainty uh, going into 2024 and now we bring in Cooper Boardman who is in Lake Placid. He just called some <laughs> UMass hockey that, uh, from what I was looking at, Coop, it, it, it went into overtime and then went into a shootout, right? Yeah, no, well, they tried to, to take my, uh, my arrival on this show as long as, as humanly possible. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sitting here, just to paint the picture for those who don't care, I'm sitting here, you know, I don't know, a few minutes, you know, right before 6 o'clock. I know you're about to pop on, scrolling through Twitter, and all of a sudden I see this. Lucas Giolito is a Boston Red Sox. And uh, I'm, I know you got into it with Chris Cotillo. I know you got into it uh, over the course of the night. But, man, that is a bomb for your December 29. Well, and it was funny, too, Cooper, because I was about to go on and talk about, okay, the Red Sox have done nothing. The full throttle comment has not come to fruition in any way except for getting Cooper Criswell and, of course, trading away Alex Verdugo, getting Tyler O'Neill. But this is something, right? And, and we had been waiting for that for so long the fans out there have been waiting for that for so long you and me were texting about lucas giolito before we hopped on today i I think uh, you you can correct me if i'm wrong but i felt like i was more of a fan of it than you were when we chatted about it but now that he's a part of the red sox what's what's your take here on on this signing for boston yeah i i think i was probably a little bit more lukewarm on the idea of him before uh, you know, this actually came in, in, into like the reality of the world. But man, I'll say this: uh, you know, uh, the the thing about this signing for me is not even so much about Lucas Giolito and and who he is right now or the second half of the season that he had. It is the belief that I have in the guy who is in charge right now. Because if you look at what Craig Breslow did in Chicago, and we're talking about a situation in Chicago where he took a a, a middle-of-the-road pitching staff and bottom-of-the-road pitching depth and turned it into a real whole lot of something. 
and I know you've probably talked about this uh, over the course of the night. Certainly we've been talking about it over the last few weeks on WEEI. But if you look at what he did and, and the pitching conversations that he put forth in Chicago and how he took guys that were good at one thing but not so good at another or had really good stuff earlier on in the career and maybe weren't able to fully put that forth uh, at a major league level over 162, the way he did that there. So now you pick up Lucas Giolito, a guy whose fastball spin rate right went way down over the course of the last couple of years. You know, it post trade obviously really struggled, gave up a ton of home runs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to see the number of tweets, sorry, X's about it or whatever, uh, over the course of the next you know couple of days and all of this. But I, the, the what makes me excited about it is not just the signing, not just that they did something, which of course is hallelujah, praise to the heavens, all that. But uh, it is the <laughs> the idea that they could go out. And, and fix somebody, and, and it's fun to have a project to do it. So that's what I got to start out of the bullpen today. And you're coming out hot, man. You, you, <laughs> might, you might be around some ice, but you're coming out hot, which I love. I knew you would once the game is over, once the game came to an end. Uh, Joe Weil, Cooper Boardman with you here uh, on Red Sox Hot Stove. We're taking you all the way up to 9 p.m. Get your calls in, 617-779-7937. You can also text us at 379 379- Three seven, Coop. You you know this just like I do. Doing the pre and post this year, something like this is not going to appease every fan. And uh, just for example, uh, somebody texting in: if they trade for Mike Trout, now you've got something. So uh, we have one former angel. I, mean, I agree. I would I agree with that too. I would too. So when they have one former angel, the fans may want another, and of course they wanted Shohei Otani. So you get somebody that was toward the top of the market. He wasn't the prize guy like Otani or maybe the the 1B guy in Yamamoto. Jordan Montgomery is still out there. It was interesting to talk to Chris Cotillo about him still being on the market, why the Red Sox haven't signed him yet, and, and maybe a little bit of pessimism that they do. But you hit on something that I think is really important. One of the reasons the Red Sox brought Craig Breslow here is for what he can do on a pitching side to improve things. And this is not what really is a big part of why they brought him, the homegrown aspect of it, because, of course, going out and signing Lucas Giolito, he's not a homegrown guy, he's a free agent. But I think what you hit on is is important. If you believe in your infrastructure, you can look at a guy like Lucas Giolito, who has had a really good track record, despite the fact the last two seasons he's fallen off a little bit. But you can look at what he's done in the past and say, if we get him here, we can fix some of the kinks that were there at the end of last year and get him back to the pitcher that he was in 2019, in 2020, 2021, where he was the ace of a playoff staff, a division uh, title-winning team in the White Sox. Forget for a second that it was the AL Central. They were still a team that won the, <laughs> that won the division. And a guy last year, at least in the first half, that was pretty good. To me, I, them going after a guy like Lucas Giolito is them signaling confidence about what they believe that they can do for pitchers. And I think having Craig Breslow here and Andrew Bailey, who did great work in San Francisco, now the team's pitching coach, to me that's a signal of confidence that they can look at somebody in the free agent market and say, hey, we can make him as good as he was when he was at the top of his game and possibly better. Yeah, I think there's really kind of no question about that. And I think, you know, you kind of look at what the free agency market is on the pitching side of things. And, uh, you know, Montgomery is pro- is more of a known commodity in terms of what you're going to get than Giolito. Get into all that, and I know you have. You know, Blake Snell, obviously, is a Cy Young Award winner. 
you, you kind of know what you're going to get. And then there's kind of everybody else. And so if you are signing and starting to sign out of that everybody else category, to me, this is the guy. And, you know, I, I, I have my level of apprehension with it, right? Like, you know, this is a guy... You know, the first 21 starts of the year at a 3.79 post-trade. I mean, you're talking about, you know, it's not like the, the end of last season was, oh, you know, it, it was all right or wasn't up to his standard. I mean, this, you know, he gave up 55 runs over his last 63 innings. And, and, and that spin rate has been down since the sticky stuff cracked down. But there's a lot more going on there. And, um, you know, you talked about and tweeted about as well the, the personal side of things for him and all of that, and I'm not going to sit here and comment on anything like that. But, you know, you're, you're, I think, you know, the idea that you went out and, and if you look at the market and you look at 31-year-old Blake Snell, who's still on the market, who somebody could still pay for, Red Sox would go pay for him, and if they did, I would, I would uh, drop confetti, uh, you know, uh, on the Boston Common. But <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, for Giolito's perspective, to be 29 years old and have the track record that he has and to now have a multiple-year deal and have time to figure it out and be in the organization on December 29th, you know, this is this is the belief in in what the Red Sox can do, right? This is the belief in what the Red Sox can create, and I, I you know, I, I do think that when you look at the pitching development and what he did in Chicago, Craig Breslow, and the guys that he's brought in here, you have no choice. I understand there there are plenty of people who are pessimistic, Mike Trout, blah blah blah, whatever. Like. This is what has to happen. This is what good organizations do. They sign, and then they make those guys better. And this has to be the case with Lucas Giolito. They have to get it right, but this is the first step to getting it right. And a, a Twitter account that, or an X account that you and I both love, at Red Sox Stats, he just tweeted this out. It, it hit on something that you just talked about, the four-seam fastball issues. And, and one thing he notes or she, I'm, we, know, we don't know the actual <laughs> identity of Red Sox yeah, stats. behind the curtain. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but they, he points out that they basically both, uh, actually him and Brian Bayo, had the worst four-seam fastball in baseball in the second half. They got lit up on that pitch. I hit on it earlier in the show. The fact that Lucas Giolito gave up 41 home runs, left a lot of pitches over the middle of the plate, and ended up giving up the second most home runs in the American League. So it's not like this is a surefire move, but it was one of those moves that has, I think, really solid upside. And again, you get it within the pitching structure that the Red Sox hope that they have here. It could lead to big things. If you want to get in on the conversation after the Lucas Giolito signing, what you'd like to see this team continue to do or to just do, 617-779-7937. Let's go to the phones for the first time. Let's go to Glenn in New Orleans. Glenn, you're on... Red Sox Hot Stove, thanks for joining us. Oh, well, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I don't see how y'all can be so excited about signing this guy. Uh, in, in my opinion, he's, and I know, uh, I think earlier on Fenway rundown, uh, Chris called him a number three. To me, he's a number four, bordering on a number five. So I don't see where he's uh, an addition. The team needs a bona fide number one and a bona fide number two to get out of the cellar. Now, if they would get either a one or a two, at least that would at least put a smile on my face. But um, to me, all of you guys in the media that cover the team daily, uh, y'all can never judge things without first putting on the Red Sox glasses and 
waving the pom-poms around. Glad at the top of my show, I was ready to go after the Red Sox, and I still did despite this signing because this is not enough. I do agree with Glenn on that point that they need to add another top-of-the-line starter. The point that I that Cooper and I are trying to make is that it is something, and at least it has some high upside. Cooper, where do you stand on what Glenn said there about where Giolito ultimately comes down in in a rotation i guess an ideal rotation think like wild card team rotation sorry i, I have my pom-poms let me just put these down um <laughs> no i so i and i understand actually you know exactly what he's saying right like this is still when you kind of look around the rotations and i, I always kind of look around at the division and you look at um you know what the rays have put forth consistently whether you know the names or not um when you look at the rotation that the yankees uh, have built at least on their front end when you look at um, you know, some of the younger guys that the Orioles have and certainly what the Blue Jays have gone out and spent about despite uh, the loss, uh, you know, of consistent Alec Manoa. You kind of look at the Red Sox rotation relative to those teams, not even relative to the season that they had last year. And I agree, like, there, there, there has to be more in here. Um, but, you know, it, this is not signing a, a, a Corey Kluber, you know, on the, on the older side of things that was, uh, uh, you know, seemed not to be as much of an unknown as he turned out to be. A year ago, this is not even signing a James Paxton yet. Uh, although that could be in the works, it seems um, that the Red Sox did, you know, before the season started a year ago as well. But what it does is is you have to sign someone like this to get to what Glenn is talking about there, and that's my point. You know, th- this rotation cannot be done, and and maybe it's the development of Cutter Crawford or perhaps even Josh Winkowski, as Alex Cora has alluded to. I'm or out on that like one. That. You're out, out on that? I'm out on that we one, we, that. we'll get into it. I, I, I actually don't hate that, but, uh, you know, I think what you look at it, it, it from the perspective of, you know, Giolito is it, it deepens your rotation and not with an older arm. This is a fix-it arm and a trust-your-process, not a I hope this guy's still hanging on kind of signing. And I think that is a decided difference. It's not getting Blake Snell. It's not the feeling I would have if that was Blake Snell on Jeff Passan's tweet. But, uh, you know, again, these are steps, right? It's December 29th. You want them to sign somebody, anybody, please anyone in the entire world? Guess what? They did. And now you can see a a yellow brick road towards getting to a place where the starting pitching doesn't make you want to tear your face off every five days. And that's where, you know, you're at right now. It's a building blocks perspective to have, but it's it's the first step on the way to what's next for this team and uh, you know that's where i sit on it it's it's not you're not done they can't be done but it, it's a big big step for a for a rotation that is a lot better right now than it was five hours ago and hopefully a precursor to even more moves down the line here for the red Sox. the hot stove finally heating up in boston with the red Sox signing lucas giolito today the calls are rolling in if you want to get in on the, in on the conversation 617-779-7937 you can also text us at 37937 as well we'll get to more calls in a little bit but coming up right now what's trending on wei remember you can listen to WEEI on your smart speaker. Just say, play 93.7 WEEI. Now, more of the Rich Keefe Show on WEEI. All right, welcome back to Red Sox Hot Stove. Joe Weil with you, Cooper Boardman. 
from Lake Placid also with you. We appreciate you joining us on this Friday evening as we talk Red Sox baseball. Final chance for me and Cooper to do this on the WEI Airwaves. It's been fun for both of us to do pre-post this season. And uh, we picked the perfect day to do this show with the Lucas Giolito news coming down, signing a two-year 38.5 million-dollar contract with an opt-out after this 2024 season. So it could be just for one year, but at least we have some news coming down and some acquisition that the Red Sox have made to help out the starting pitching going into 2024. Uh, If you want to chime into the conversation about Lucas Giolito signing with the Red Sox, what she'd still like this team to do with the rest of the free agents that are still out there call in 617-779-7937 again 617-779-7937 we'd love to hear the same spirit from you that we can hear from the band out in lake placid playing behind <laughs> playing me in baby <laughs> they make it feel so good all right let's go back to the phones let's go to matt in rhode island matt you're on red Sox hot stove thanks for joining us hey what's up guys um well, what I can say about the signing is that he, he does um, eat up a lot of innings, I mean, comparatively speaking, to the, today's starters. Um, but this is exactly my thought on why you have to build your farm farm system up with pitchers, which they've completely neglected. Um, because, this is, you know, you, you need guys coming up. Just let me digress a minute about that Alex Cora thing when you were talking. Like, when you get to the major leagues, you have to have the fundamentals to play baseball defensively. I mean, what is this guy supposed to do? I mean, that was, a, it was as abysmal as it was last year defensively. I mean, I, I just don't know what Alex Cora is supposed to do. Um, and just lastly, this is, this is the last place team. Um, yeah. Uh, good show, though, guys. Matt, appreciate you chiming in. So a couple of things there that, that I thought were interesting uh, that Matt brought up. The last place part of it. That's where I'd like to see at least one more Sox move, a, a big one of this, or at least one of this caliber, because you think about the other teams in the division, the Yankees make the move to trade for Juan Soto. That's obviously going to help out their offense, which was anemic last year. And then the Orioles, they have all those young players. The Rays are the Rays. Despite the Wander Franco mess, are still likely to be a good team. The Blue Jays still have some high-end talent, too. I'd agree with him in that right now the Red Sox are probably still that fifth team, but you know there is still a lot more time left in the offseason. I, I think this, uh, just to, two points there. Uh, you know, on the starting rotation, right, like the idea that the Red Sox have neglected it, and I, I agree. I think, you know, when you look back at uh, the High and Bloom era and even the previous regime, you'll look back on their developments of starting pitching as one of the, you know, the, the biggest issues that, that will, uh, you know, be a part of this franchise's conversation for a long while and obviously has been, especially over the last couple of years. And that's absolutely true. What I would say is there aren't that many teams in baseball that have done a very good job of doing that over the course of the last five to ten years. You look at what Seattle has done, that's a special class, and they had to lose to do it. Uh, What the Orioles are about to do, that's a special class, and they had to lose to do it. Alex Anthopoulos took over the Braves in 2017. It took him four or five years to build it up. Craig Breslow is in a similar situation where he is walking in. The cabinet is not bare, but it's certainly not stocked. And so it is about, okay, you know, and asking for runway in this town is not really something we do, and I'm not even saying that, but you have to, you have to fill some space, and Lucas Giolito is going to do that as this starts to come, and as you know, they start to develop some of the guys that are within the system. Uh, second point, he talked about defense. I am of the opinion, and I'm a, I'm about to talk through the national anthem, so this should be fun as I talk about the Red Sox defense. Is is this? 
you know, my my thought is in terms of the Red Sox defensively, what they need to do, it, the idea that Trevor Story is going to be back, I think, changes so much. And I, I don't know if you feel the way that I do, that if you had Trevor Story for something that resembled 162, that the defense would be unequivocally better than it was. I'm not saying it fixes everything, but it would make a big difference. Well, and, and here's the stat to back that up, too. So in September... They posted their first positive outs above average month of the year. They were just plus one, but for the season, they were last in Major League Baseball and outs above average. They were minus 50, and to give more context on the defense talk, tied for the second most errors with Oakland, uh, the worst was San Francisco, in case you were curious, and then the second most throwing errors in Major League Baseball. A lot of those came from Kike Hernandez. Not all of them, but of course he was the guy at shortstop with Trevor Story out. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in big agreement with you there, Cooper. I, I think the one thing, just to hit on the defense and, and with Matt calling in about saying, okay, what can you pin that on Alex Cora? I, I by and large agree with that point that it's unfair to put it on him. I do think there's something to be said about just how bad they were as a defensive team, and to give even more context, they ranked as one of the worst defensive teams since StatCast started tracking outs above average in 2016. So there's a 240 teams tracked in that span. The Red Sox last year, 239th uh, in that span. The only team worse than them was the New York Mets in 2017. So I, I think the point there is that, yes, the, the players that Bloom gave Alex Cora they were not good defensively, especially when you do not have somebody like Trevor Story. That being said, you think uh, with everything probably going the way it should from a fundamental side, they shouldn't be that bad. And I think Alex Cora has acknowledged that in, in the postmortem to 2023. I'm going to give a blueprint here just for a moment as you, as you look through this. You know, if you're trying to take a, a bad defensive season, the Red Sox, where you, you can do any statistical category, including your brain, uh, to tell you that their def defense was not good enough last year, right? Uh, the three teams that made the biggest jumps in terms of defensive war from last year into this year, between 2022 and 2023, are the Rangers, the Rockies, and the Cubs. The Rangers got Corey Seager and had him play a full season. Shortstop. The Rockies had called up Ezekiel Tovar, who might be the best defensive shortstop in baseball. And the Cubs signed Dansby Swanson. Three teams, three big jumps, three shortstops that played over the course of 162 with some consistency. And I think if you see, and again, right, like, oh, that, that's great, but then Trevor Story has to stay healthy. I understand that side of the coin, but, but I do think that, you know, Kike Hernandez was not supposed to play shortstop as much as he played it last year. And so, you know, and I recognize to an extent that's pom-poms, right? Like, that's that's Red Sox colored glasses. You, that's put him, fine. you brought him back out again. I brought him back. Sorry, that's my bad. Put him down. Uh, it's the, you know, but the idea that if this guy's going to play more than he played, which, goodness willing, he's going to, this is a different group uh, defensively. Now, the other part of that, too, is is what you said, the coaching, right? Like, they, they hired Bruce Bochy in Texas, and he put an emphasis on defense. They hired Mike Maddox as their pitching coach, and their pitching defense got better. Like, that's part of it, too. But the, the Red Sox have a chance to make a change in, in, in that context. But, you know, it, it, I think it starts at shortstop. It starts at shortstop. I think those corner positions have to be massive improvements from last year, too, with Devers having a really down season defensively. And I think we thought Costas would be a little better coming up 
as a defensive first baseman, at least to get him to league average, I think is is key coming into 2024. Obviously, you love what both those guys bring from an offensive standpoint. Again, if you want to chime in, 617-779-7937. You can also hit us up on the text line as well. Text rolling in, but let's go back to the phones. Let's go to Ryan in Boston, who's been waiting patiently. Ryan, thanks for joining us. What's up, guys? Hey, love the Giolito signing. Uh, low risk, high reward, short money. Just gonna go out. You gotta sign Montgomery. Maybe try to swing a trade for somebody like a Dylan Cease, if possible. And uh, I mean, you're rolling. Uh, you got better free agent bats in 2024. Feel the team you got. Pitch better with Craig Breslow's Yale brain, and <laughs> take it from there. Ryan, thank you for calling in. I love every single name he rattled off. The two that I love the most, Dylan Cease and Jordan Montgomery. The Cease conversation is a fascinating conversation because the White Sox seem to be upped for trading him. Like They seem to be on board for doing that, but they need to get the return uh, that they desire. And from the Red Sox perspective, in terms of the prospect capital, that means giving up at least one of... Roman Anthony or Marcelo Meyer, which would hurt, but at the same time, you're getting a guy that could be one of the best pitchers in baseball. Last year took a little bit of a step back. Cooper, where, where do you reside on that? If you have to give up one of those two guys, and then on top of that, more of the depth that you have in the system, do you make that deal? I, I think you do. I, I think you do, because I think you have to. Because I think of the control and, and just how hard it is to... If that's what the White Sox want... You know, that's it. But I, I like, is that enough? I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't, I would argue it's probably not enough. Like, I would argue Sadon Rafaela has to be in the deal or somebody of that conversation, that echelon that is closer to major league ready. Like, I think that that's what it takes because, you know, if you're talking about the amount of money that Lucas Giolito just got, the amount of money that Blake Snell is about to get, which is a Brinks truck and a half, you know, because of that deal. You know, you're, you're talking about the prospect capital to get any of these guys. You know, you want to talk about why the Red Sox inquired on these Mariners guys, right? Like you inquire on George Kirby or a Brian Wu or a, a, a Logan Gilbert or something like that. And, and Jerry DePoto probably laughed in the face or asked for the moon and the stars, and he should because you just don't get guys like this. The, the starting pitcher is way more valuable now than it ever used to be because of the, the inning situation, which I think proves the Giolito value and why he got the money that he did. But, you know, if you could, I, I think what's going to be fascinating to me is we're about to learn a lot about Craig Breslow and, and how he values guys, right? How does he walk in here and value Sadon Rafaela? How does he walk in here and value Roman Anthony and Kyle Teal? And, uh, and, and even, you know, guys that are in the organization like Willie Abreu uh, at the major league level and Jaron Duran. How does he value these kinds of guys and who does he look at and parse through and, and, and lean on whoever's been in the organization and say, this is the guy that we're willing to give up to go get Dylan Cease, if anyone, because obviously he wasn't willing to give up Santa Slay to go get one of the Mariners guys, but maybe there would be some kind of conversation on the White Sox side of things. I think it's fascinating. I think we're going to learn so much about him and the way he deals over the next few weeks, too. Let's go back to the phones. Let's go to Mark in Rogport. He has a Mike Trout question. We got a text about Mike Trout, and now uh, Mark's going to chime in about that. Mark, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Happy New Year's. How you doing? Doing great. Happy New Year to you, too, Mark. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just curious if you guys think we have the assets and what would those assets be to pull off a Mike Trout trade because without that, 
I don't think the Giolito move alone is enough. In terms of assets, I, I think it's all of or <laughs> a significant amount of the guys that Cooper and I just mentioned. So that means Marcelo Meyer. That means Roman Anthony. That means Kyle Teal. Yes, he's now on the other side of 30, but this is Mike Trout. I, I'm going to push back on the unequivocal statement that without getting Mike Trout, Lucas Giolito signing isn't good enough. I, I wouldn't say that. Um, you know, I, here's the thing. First of all, Mike Trout, to, to get him through 2030, if we're just going to entertain the conversation for a second, this is a guy who's under contract until 2030 for $420 you know, million. First of all, you'd have to be willing to spend that money, which I think is in question. And second of all, that's not – honestly, like, that's not the guy that I would spend on. Like, that's not and, – and that is not a knock on Mike Trout. It's a knock on his availability, and it's a conversation about what the Red Sox outfield is like. Um, beyond entertaining that – I think the idea that like there is a, a high-level bat that needs to be in this lineup that is not in this lineup is not unreasonable. I, I think just to be frank and honest with you about how this is going to go over the next few months based on the quality of bats that are available in free agency, is the Red Sox are going to add one or two. They're going to get Teoscar Hernandez or somebody of that sort, and they're going to go into the year, and they're going to try to hang around. And if they're in the conversation near the deadline, they're going to go and get Kyle Schwarber. I don't mean actually Kyle Schwarber. I'm just talking about the last time that this happened. And that's what's going to happen. Because that, that, that to me is the only blueprint or one of the only blueprints based on the quality of bat that is available and based on where the Red Sox are at and where their money needs to go right now, which is still starting pitching. Yeah, it, to me, that, that's obviously the, the point that or, or the, the point of emphasis for them and what it should be in free agency is is starting pitching and also on the trade market. I think if you're going to deal away your cap, your your, your prospect capital, it, it's best suited for going after starting pitching. And, and Cooper, you mentioned the games played part of it. To me, that's a big concern because he played only 82 games last year, 119 in 2022, and then 36 the year before. It's still Mike Trout. When he's healthy, he's a great player. Even though the numbers were down last year, he went from a 999 OPS in 2022 when he did play more games than he did last year. You go to last year, 858 OPS. To me, it's not the right fit for where this group is. Obviously, if he was just out there and you can get him for a bargain, you'd want to go get Mike Trout, but it would take a significant amount of prospect capital, and you wonder, with all that they've acquired, I know a lot of people in this town are not interested in the prospects at this point because they want to see the Major League the, the major league product be where it should be, which is in playoff contention. And a lot of times over the last couple of years, especially, we've seen players get up here that, that, that probably shouldn't be playing here, mostly on the pitching side. But still, yeah. I, I don't think Mike Trout is necessarily the guy you'd want to just, okay, we, we've acquired all these guys that have promise. Let's deal him away from Mike Trout, who is now on the other side of 30. We had this conversation when he's 28. I'd give him the farm to get somebody <laughs> like Mike Trout because he's Mike Trout. But... It's a different look, and obviously, as Cooper mentioned, with, with the amount of money they're paying him. And and I do think we have to be frank about the conversation, as Chris Cotillo was when he stopped by a little bit earlier in the program. I'm not exactly sure that's where the Red Sox are right now, which is not great. And obviously, you'd, you'd wish that they'd be the, the team that goes out and spends a lot of money uh, or, or wants to pay one guy that is an elite talent a lot of money. But if they were to do that with anybody... To me, and this is a conversation we don't need to have again, but to me, it, it goes back to why didn't you sign Mookie Betts to a long-term <laughs> extension? 
when he was the guy that was already in-house, loved playing in Boston, won a World Series, all that stuff instead of trading uh, for Mike Trout. Again, if you want to get in on the conversation, 617-779-7937. We're talking starting rotation. We're also talking about some of the holes within the position player group. I do want to touch on second base at some point tonight and also the outfield as well. We could kind of make this a little bit of a teaser, Cooper, before we get into the final segment of the hour. I, I, I am gauging from what you're saying that, that you're a big Blake Snell guy, and, and the question I have is do you view him higher or should be more of a commodity for the Red Sox than somebody like Jordan Montgomery? You know, there are two answers to that question. Yes, uh, I do. I, I mean, I view him higher. I think he's a better pitcher than Jordan Montgomery. I think Eddie, Eddie – uh, anything that he has done and everything he has done. Obviously, the year uh, that he had last year I, I, it proves all of that. I don't need to sit here and tell you that Blake Snell is a good pitcher, you know. But I, I don't. If the Red Sox went out and spent the what Blake Snell is going to cost, based on what Lucas Giolito just costed, uh, they will be spending money that is unprecedented in terms of what they are willing to spend over the last four or five years. It's not to say that they won't, that they won't do it, but. I have seen no evidence to suggest that they will do it to this point. And so, obviously, Jordan Montgomery, in that context, becomes a much more reasonable conversation. Although, he's going to get a bag of his own because of the season that he had a year ago. And he should. And there are plenty of teams that are willing to spend. And you talk about how the Yankees were willing to give $300 million to, to Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Well, that money is left over now, and they are interested in a reunion, and that's before you start talking about the Mets and even the Dodgers, part two, who seem to have an unending supply of money, and the Giants, who have been you know, missing out on free agent, watching boat after boat pass by, and the Cubs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, but I, I do think that if the Red Sox – Blake Snell is somebody that I would pay. Like I would, I would pay Blake Snell tomorrow. I would pay him for a long time, and I would say – the, the four or five years that I get out of him are, are you know, and whatever happens on the back end is fine. You know, but the other part of that, too, is for the Red Sox is, like, they're not – I don't know if they're a Blake Snell away. That's where you kind of lose me a little bit. Like, I, I you know, why pay him now when you could pay, uh, you know, a little bit of a deeper class next year? I understand that conversation about it. And I, I, I the, it just seems to me that – Blake Snell is probably not in the conversation. So if we're going to operate under that assumption, then Jordan Montgomery becomes the next best thing. And, and I mean, we'll see. But I just, you know, this is a guy that I would pay. I, that, that's how I feel about him. See, and, and with Blake Snell, at least the way I see it, I would pay, but for a shorter-term deal. But he's not going to take that. I know, he's he not. Un- unless unless he wants that. Unless he wants, but, but you'd figure based off a of Cy or coming off a of Cy Young season, he's going to want the money and the years. I just think with him, he, he seems to want to be out on the West Coast for what you hear. And Jordan Montgomery at least is here. And, and can handle a similar type market like he did with the Yankees. By the way, we, we have to hit a break in a moment, but Cooper, I, I've been thinking about all the free agency conversations and meetings that have taken place and the ones I would love to be a fly on the wall for. Can you imagine what it's like or what it would be like if Jordan Montgomery meets with Brian Cashman <laughs> and they have a conversation about, hey, you remember when we traded you for, for an outfielder in a boot and, <laughs> and thought you weren't good enough to be in the starting rotation for a playoff series? Yeah, Sorry, we, bro. Yeah, yeah. We so, wanted Frankie yeah. Montas. <laughs> Sorry about that. We we totally didn't mean it. We'd love to have you back. Take our take our contract. <laughs> I would love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. 
We will be getting some more starting pitching talk coming up. We'll hit on some of the guys that are already here. Tanner Houck, Garrett Whitlock. Where will they be in 2024? Where do you think they should be? Should they be in the bullpen? Should they be in the rotation? Cutter Crawford also in that conversation as well. We'll come right back, talk about that and much more here on WEI. If you missed any of our Patriots Monday and Friday interviews, go back and listen on the podcast anytime. Just subscribe to the Rich Keefe Show on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcasts. Now, more of the Rich Keefe Show on WEEI. What is the thing right now or the guy, someone, someone that you're excited about seeing heading into next year? Tanner and, 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 and Garrett, just having a full offseason, you know, a regular offseason, you know, back surgery, hip surgery, that's not you know, your broken pinky or, or your UCL, whatever thumb thing, you know, this, there were serious, you know, surgeries. So they were playing catch up the whole time. And for those two to, to be healthy, to go through the progression right now, uh, Garrett is in uh, Fort Myers. He just got there. Tanner's in West Palm. Mm. I'm excited about those two guys because the upside is real. And um, regardless of what happened in free agency, let's say we add, I don't know, Pedro and Kurt, right? Just just throw two names. You know, they're free agents. We got them this year. Boom, boom, boom. Garrett has to be better. Tanner has to be better. Bayo has to be better. Cutter needs to be better. Our guys have to improve. And we've been talking about these kids for two or three years. They're not kids anymore. Mm. They got two full seasons at the big league level. They're 27, right? 26, 27, 28. So they're getting to that point that, hey, you know, we have to start performing. It's not about uh, upside or projections, whatever. We have to perform. And I do believe... You know, with all the respect that the, you know, the people that we had in the past, pitching wise, we're in a better place as far as like the vision and the structure and the philosophy. Now we have to execute. And um, in all the conversations that we had the last few weeks, uh, talking to the players and all that, I, I do believe we will take that step. And then obviously, whatever we end up doing in the offseason is going to help us out. All right, that was Alex Cora, Red Sox manager, talking with our very own Rob Bradford on the Great Baseball Isn't Boring podcast. Certainly check that podcast out. Rob does fantastic stuff, original content, gets some great interviews, and, of course, great insight like you just heard there from Alex Cora talking about two guys and Tanner Houck and Garrett Whitlock who we have really seen some strong stretches in a Red Sox uniform mostly as relievers they've had some good stints at, as starters but uh it's a conversation I, i'd love to get into right now joe Wild with you cooper boardman uh also here on red sox hot stove you can chime into our conversation 617-779-7937 you can also text us at 37937 as well if you want to chat about the starting pitching the fact that the red sox made a signing and got lucas giolito or you could tell us who you'd like to see the Red Sox still go out and get in free agency or trade for. But these two guys, Cooper, and Tanner Houck and Garrett Whitlock, I am so intrigued to see where their career goes in 2024. And the reason I say that is because we hoped in 2023 to have some questions answered. Are these guys legit 
starting pitchers. And I don't feel like we've fully fleshed that out because both guys were injured. Tanner Houck's injury was way more of a freak thing because he got hit in the face with a line drive off the bat of Kyle Gashioka. Whereas Garrett Whitlock, it was a little bit more of the same from an injury standpoint in 2022 when they put him in the rotation. I, I don't know where I want to see them yet. Do you? Oh, man. I'm putting you on the spot. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Please put me on the spot. And my own man is like my genuine, raw, emotional answer to it because I understand why Alex Cora is excited because these are two guys that are phenomenal uh, in terms of their stuff. These are two guys, when you sit there and you look at them and you look at the quality of player they are and you look at just their raw stuff and the underlying metrics, and I can do this to death about how good they can be. But... 2023, to your exact point, was the year we were supposed to find out about them, and we didn't. And I understand there are plenty of reasons why. I would argue, you know, we didn't find out about, you know, and I know Hawks thing was was a freaking thing, but, like, Whitlock has been injured. He has been consistently injured, and they had to extend him, and they should have extended him, and it's a good thing that they did. But, you know, this isn't... This is somebody that they gave starter money to, but then, like, hoped he might be a starter. And I just have a lot of trouble with where I think this is going, which is you're going to walk into the year and your rotation is going to have Brian Bayo and it's going to have Lucas Giolito and it's going to have Chris Sale, which in itself is a tenuous, tenuous circumstance, in my opinion. I think you're going to have Cutter Crawford based on the way the year ended, but between Crawford, Tanner Houck, Garrett Whitlock, and Josh Winkowski, they're all going to walk into the year with uh, themselves stretched out and get into spring training. We're going to have to figure out what they're all like, and chances are they're going to make some decisions in spring training, and it's going to change over the first few months of the season. And you end up in this situation where we ended up in 2023 where you're sitting there in, in July, and you're like, who are these guys, and what is their future? And I, I, I like the flexibility. I understand the flexibility aspect of it, but I am scared of that. I, I, I don't like. I, is that unfair? Like, I, I just don't. That that is nerve wracking to me that we might not know what these guys are when the season starts. Where I stand on all of them, I'll give a quick hit on each. Cutter Crawford is the guy that I feel the most comfortable starting in the rotation in 2024. Although I did see Lou mention this, it did intrigue me the idea of him being a closer in 2024. I don't think it needs to start there. Obviously, at this point, you still have Kenley Jansen, uh, who has been floated around a little bit in trade talks, but not not a a ton enough that we have to project him to be off the roster. He's still on this roster for 2024. I like Crawford at the top. The next three are, are, are it's a challenging mix because I don't know if I genuinely believe any of them for a team that's playoff bound should be in the rotation. But if I had to rank them, I think, I think I'd go Hauk, Whitlock, Winkowski at the bottom. And I know Alex Cora talked to Rob Bradford about the Winkowski part of it, but I just felt like what you saw in 2022 with, with him in the rotation, how hard he got hit. You thought the ground ball would play a little bit more, and, and it did, but the fact that he doesn't get a lot of strikeouts when he's in that starting spot scares me a little bit. And then especially where he was put in a bullpen role and actually excelled, I don't know why you tinker with that. And we saw that with Garrett Whitlock, too. Like He, he got put in a starting spot and got hurt. It got hurt a couple times, and you were already tinkering with something that was working when he was so good in a reliever role. So I think those two guys, Whitlock and Winkowski, are, are sort of the bottom of the four, where I'd put Cutter Crawford at the top and Hauk right behind him, just beating out those latter two. To me, you know, 
I don't see Tanner Houck as a starter sitting here right now based on the guy he was last year, and I know he was injured, and I know he didn't have the full season. Until he gets left-handers out consistently, I, I just I, I just have trouble with that. And I also think like the weapon that he is out of the bullpen, the quality of his slider, which is elite, capital E, like I, I'm good with him in the bullpen, and it's not somebody that you're paying to be a starter, unlike Garrett Whitlock, which is a much harder conversation when you talk about him being in a starter uh, starter's role. Whitlock is scary to me, too, because I, I, I have yet to see the durability of him being a starting pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, you know, and being in that rotation. I understand the Winkowski thing, and I understand why, like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I also understand that down the stretch, in terms of his workload, he wasn't the same guy that he was early in the season, which I think is a very quiet little footnote in his season. Not that he wasn't great, right? It was like a two eight eight ERA. That's yeah, two eight eight, and and his underlying stuff was good. He gave him some home runs down the stretch, but I think when you, if you were to just like, it, you know, uh, the the blind resume deal, like like in the in the NCAA tournament when they put up three teams and you know they flash them and you're like, oh wow, like that team like is really good or that team uh, should be in, and, and it's a team that nobody thought would be uh, in the in the conversation, uh, you know, to be in the NCAA tournament. I, like in in this trio, Josh Winkowski is kind of the guy based on his stuff. Like if you're gonna blind look at it, that I would say, mm, okay. Like you know, you're talking about sinker, cutter, like get left-handers out, slider to get right-handers out, change up to get left-handers out, and he can put the four seam with high ride up in the zone. Like you're talking about a legit five pitch guy, and it worked out of the bullpen. I I would just be interested, and the the backdrop for this conversation. And I get it. Like, it's easy to look at him last year and say, ah, like, all right, like, just keep him in the bullpen. He was good here. But the backdrop for this conversation is that I think the bullpen's going to be way better based on Craig Breslow and what he does. And that you have now a, a pitching infrastructure that is going to come in a place where you can take a guy like this and make him even better. And so I just wonder, like, is, is Josh Winkowski your five? And we don't even know it yet. And it's not, we're not, and the Red Sox don't even know it yet because it's not February. We're not in Fort Myers. But I, I do think that that is something to mentally monitor because it is a toy that Craig Breslow can play with. And I think his stuff matches up to be a starting pitcher. I really do. Well, we'll certainly have to see because at the very least, Cooper, we do know it because Alex Cora said this is that they're going to stretch him out. So that possibility is still out there, but it's an interesting conversation going into next year, especially if they don't add to this rotation. I hope they do, though. To make that conversation at the back end even more interesting between those guys that we mentioned, I would figure Cutter is going to be in there, but the, those those last three, I, I, I'll still keep tabs on them because I'm very curious to see where it goes next year with Tanner Houck and Garrett Whitlock, and Josh Winkowski. It'll be fun to monitor going into 2024. Red Sox Hot Stove continues coming up on our third hour right after this on WEI.